Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, do in this time in opening up your word and considering uh, James's wondrous pastoral advice, Lord, to real hurting people, Lord, with real difficult trials and afflictions such as we all face, Lord, that uh, you would quiet Lord, all the things in our mind that even for just a moment we would put aside the busyness of our day-to-day lives. Lord, incline our hearts that we would be illuminated by your Spirit, that we would rightly hear, and not only listen, but truly understand. Lord, that we would perceive the things of, uh, of benefit to our, to our souls and our salvation as it works out to its completion. Father, may we desire to hear you, may we long to hear you, and may we apply these things to our lives and meditate upon them in this time. Hear us, O Lord, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll please turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 1, which if you're using your, uh, using your pew Bibles, you'll find on page 1288. Page 1288, and we'll... We'll read from just the first 18 verses of James 1 in this morning. Here for context, we may remember that James is writing to groups of of Jews who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire after heavy persecution in Jerusalem from both the Jewish uh, legal scholars and the Pharisees, as well as from the Roman government. They were a people who truly knew hardship in life and rejection in this world. And at the same time, there was also infighting amongst them. And so James writes this to them from verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, in the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. 
Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. I draw your attention especially to verse 12, which is our sermon text in this morning. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a bit hard to believe that we're already now 22 days into this new year. It's passed pretty quick. And, you know, in, in looking ahead at my own schedule, I'm sure it's the same with you, that you have a lot that's going on right now. You're already busy with school activities with your children or other sorts of, of activities. Uh, maybe you already have some things that are planned out for the next couple months even. You know, but in all of our preparations and all of our plannings and sorting out our calendars, have you also prepared for trials? Have you accounted for and, and, and made adequate preparations in your schedules for those and how those affect you in your normal day-to-day -day life? Well, as our, our Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 16, 33, in this world... You shall have tribulation. It, it's a guarantee. Trials will come. And I want to I give you numerous examples here at the outset, just so, so we're on the same page of just how wide and diverse trials are. You know, some are, of course, in the form of, of suffering through lengthy and intense hardships. There's recurring feelings of loneliness. There's a missing a loved one who has gone and passed, whether recently or long ago. Some trials are, are concern our bodies, uh, some new illness in, in, in the, or disease in the body and the mind, or maybe a chronic pain or disease. Some trials are common situations in our daily lives. There's, maybe you're having difficulty at work or having a difficulty in, in saving money just to get by in this, this poor economy or planning for retirement. Are you going to have enough to live? We have arguments in marriage. There's endless projects that need to be done. In, in children and teens, this includes you with your, your long days of schooling and homework and chores. Not to mention all the social pressures that come with growing up that I'm sure we all remember. Trials include temptations to sin. Watching things that we shouldn't be. Lust. Impatience, lashing out at our kids or spouse because they did or didn't do something. Getting drunk, wasting time or money, passing by the poor and needy without aiding or praying with them. I know I've gone at length in this. I do so purposefully. I want us to remove the shadow, any shadow of doubt. That we know every single one of us has gone through trials, is in a trial right now, and that more is going to come. And I say this knowing that, yeah, yes, we, we all do know this intellectually. We know this, maybe even theologically. But here, exactly is James's point in writing this epistle. You know truth, Christian, but it, it, it's not enough to just know it. The matter is, 
We have to live according to what we know. And trials are used to test the consistency of our beliefs. Will we listen to God's word or in the midst of trials and confusion, will we become in error? Well, the God we can trust produces steadfast faith through trials. And this is our theme in this morning. Simple, short theme. God produces steadfast faith through trials. And he does this to show Christians three things, which you'll have there in your bulletin handouts. He shows us that we're imperfect in and of ourselves, that we, we all need divine truth, and that we are to know God is unchangeable. On this first point, we're imperfect in and of ourselves. I want us to start by looking at a warning James gives in verse 16. He says, Be not deceived about how any trial affects you. Trials are all serious, every one of them. Life's trials hurt, and they, they typically seem both inevitable and insurmountable. It's like trying to climb a mountain on a foggy night. Think about that. It's, it's pitch black, and you can hardly see a foot in front of you. You're exposed to elements and, and hungry beasts on this mountain. The ground is steep, and it, it's unlevel. And as you go higher up, it gets colder and colder, and you're tired. You're, you're fatigued. But trials, whether in the form of temptation or suffering, make us painfully aware that we are weak, finite creatures. And here's the danger. Of this. In our desperation to survive through a trial, we try to use whatever, whatever resource or means around us that we can think of. We might cope with a trial by lashing out in anger to express frustration at our lack of control. We might indulge in various kinds of desires to, to console us, to, 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 to numb us or distract us. It might include sexual immorality and drinking and drugs, maybe binging TV shows, gambling, or even pouring into home or work projects obsessively. Distractions. Trials, you see, reveal our lack of wisdom, as in, as in verse 5. At its core, sin has caused man to be unable to rightly understand our relationship to God to, to our neighbor and, and to this, this created world all around us. And because we don't know our relation to, to the creator, to creature, creation, we don't properly understand the circumstances that come up in our lives. Because of this, we especially don't know how to respond to trials correctly. Trials are unnatural invaders to this world's original design. But because of the fall, they are now... A, a reality. So we need wisdom. Wisdom. And that wisdom is divine truth, which we're going to speak more on in the next point. For now, I want us to also consider a second danger that we have to be warned about. In verse 8, trials reveal our inconsistency in faith. And we, we think of non-Christians as misunderstanding scripture twisting it to their own ends. And that is true. So we in the church also misunderstand Scripture whenever we misapply it in our day-to-day -day lives and when we live in error. Well, yes, the, the longer and, 
and the more difficult a trial goes on, the more prone we are to respond in ways hardly different than unbelievers. Again, in the least, we might intellectually get it to an extent, like we said in our introduction, but more often than not, our feelings and our actions and our responses to circumstances don't match up to our profession. We don't always listen to God's word. We give in to the temptations of indwelling sin, and we doubt when confronted with hardships. I know this in, in simply just looking at my own heart. Well, James wants us to be warned of being double-minded people. A double-minded man is the opposite of a steadfast man, a sturdy man in faith. One who is not committed to God and therefore who is unstable in all of their ways. It is this double-minded, this double-mindedness that James specifically has in mind when he warns us in verse 16. Don't let this double-mindedness, this wavering in the things of God, to deceive you. Now you heard the law and the gospel proclaimed to you. You know where true wisdom for life is found. So why continue to try to use worldly reasoning to navigate life? Well, if I can go back to our, to our dark and foggy mountain illustration. God equips you with infrared goggles. And a, and a map marking rest stops all along the trail to the summit. You are given the tools, Christian, by, by word and spirit to walk steadily and to per persevere to the end. So why would you not use them and risk becoming more lost? Indeed, trials reveal our lack of trust in God. We don't believe His way works or is, or is accurate. And so in, in the midst of a trial, we might say in our heart, well, I'm being tempted by God. He's the one that put me in this situation. He made this happen and he won't get me out. Doesn't he care? Well, beloved, this is a lie from Satan. It's that, it's that same whispering of the serpent of the garden. Did God really say? Did God really say he'll be truthful to you and that he's going to be with you to the end of the age? And always. Remember that when Jesus said in John 16, which we quoted earlier, you shall have tribulation, he also says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Take heart. I have overcome the world. The trials, they can discourage us. But they cannot ultimately hurt the true Christian. We have to take care to cut off all hellish lies and cling steadfastly to the whole of God's divine truth. And this is our second point, that, that we need divine truth. So the, the truth is that trials must be met with an attitude of joy, as he says in verse 2. And this is not, a, this is not just a suggestion. Count it all joy when, when faced with trials is, is a command. And yet, it presents a bit of a paradox to our natural understanding. How can hardships be something joyful? These, these words must be discerned in faith and first wholeheartedly trusted because it is God's divine truth. They can be trusted 
proof for this is that James is speaking the same way that Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, verse 12, he's saying, Count it all with joy when in trials, because blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood fast, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So count it all with joy, beloved. For you are blessed, even in trials. And at the heart of this truth, you are blessed even in trials, is that, is that God is sovereign. And of, of course, I know we're, we're all good reformed folk here. You know, we profess the most robust doctrine of sovereignty and providence. Yet, like we said in, in, in the previous point, we too often fail to live and respond as those who see trials as being from God. But God permits trials, using them to our benefits. And not only that, he supplies the perseverance we need to weather trials. Think of that. I mean, he's so sovereign. That's how far his provision goes. Not only supplying you the trial, but the ability to get through it and to come out all the more spiritually better for it. Like Psalm 119, verse 71 says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And this is, this is exactly what James has in mind in, in verse 3 when he says count it all a joy when you meet trials of various kinds. It, it, he's not saying it's the trial itself we are to consider joyful. We rejoice simply in that God is testing our faith and in that producing steadfastness, sturdiness. There's a need for our faith in, in God's word, you see, to be tested to ensure that it is genuine. Now, in blacksmithing, I, I hesitate in using this perhaps as an example in case there's any who work with metal around here. But we'll go ahead anyways. In blacksmithing, there's this, this process called uh, tempering. Uh, this is where the smith will heat, say, a, a blade, a knife, in a blazing surface. And then at the right moment, he plunges it into water. And the blade cools, and the result is that it is, it's strengthened. It's, it's made flexible and even more malleable. Well, likewise, the Lord tempers the faith of his people. And the result is that we become more steadfast, stronger, flexible, malleable to his word. And this is, this is the point of what James is saying in verse 4. Well, let's steadfastness, let this tempering have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Well, the effect of steadfastness is rejoicing in the truth that God is perfect and that his ways are perfect even when we don't understand it. Even when we don't see what these trials are doing for us. This effect is, is taking comfort and believing that God is walking with you through this fallen world. It's the truth that you are never alone, never unloved, no matter where you are, and you are never without a single thing 
not one thing he deems necessary to the salvation of your soul. You lack nothing for your salvation, beloved. We need steadfastness. But, but how do we get this, this divine truth that makes us steadfast? Well, verse 5, we must ask God for wisdom who gives generously to all without reproach. Now, when in a trial, we feel, we feel just tapped and drained. We don't know what to do. Our mind is kind of cloudy and foggy, like being up on that mountain. And our, idea, our ideas for how to get out of these trials or persevere, they come up empty of solutions. See, God alone supplies wisdom. Wisdom is, is God-centered truth for God-centered living. It is the gospel in application, if you will. Now, each one of us lacks wisdom to varying degrees. And the reason is that we don't tend to ask like verse 5 tells us to, especially when we're in the midst of trial. But James nonetheless instructs us, encourages us, pray in faith, trusting that God hears and will respond to us. For as Christ himself said, ask and it shall be given you. If you then, being, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? If you trust in the Lord and you want a desire to walk in all of His ways, and you ask the Lord for wisdom of how to do that, do you think He'll deny that to you? Will God deny giving you a gift? that brings him further magnification of his glory? No, he will not. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, ask for wisdom without doubting. Indeed, even persevere in asking. Even as Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom. Persevere in asking. Search the scriptures and repent from the use, turn from the use of the foolish ways of man, of, of the world's wisdom. Because wisdom is at hand in Christ alone, who is the fullness of God's wisdom. And he shall teach you. He shall teach you in his wisdom, true joy for all of life. Oh, no matter who you are, this world and all that, all that it dangles in, in, in front of your eyes is fleeting. Money, success, or respect at work, these social movements you see going on in our day, even the various political parties, all these things can never give us a true source of wisdom. They can never be the foundation of our steadfastness. They can never be our confidence. They will pass away. Only God is the provider of what is absolutely necessary for our lives, our comfort and joy, both now and in eternity. And His wisdom is necessary to give us the right perspective, to see things in this world clearly and truly as they are. God is the one who corrects our double-mindedness. He corrects the instability in our worldviews. He does it 
with true and grounded wisdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we can trust in God's wisdom because he himself is the source of all true wisdom. And he himself is unchangeable and steadfast. His wisdom and everything that he is can never change. It's to this that we turn now on our third point. We have to know that God is unchangeable. See, God's wisdom, God's wisdom reveals his character. That's what corrects our false ideas about him that rise up when afflicted. We're told that he is good in Scripture. But in trials, oftentimes our conduct shows, or our practice shows, that we do tend to doubt his goodness in his word. All of us will struggle in this life to think rightly of God. And there will be questions and concerns about his purposes and our circumstances that may just never be directly answered. We might at times cry out like David, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? The point here is our, our emotions and our thoughts and desires in the midst of trials can overwhelm us. That's when complaining and unbelief seep in. It's in those moments where we have to go to places like verse 17 to remember that with God, there is no variation or shadow due to change. He has shown you goodness and favor in the past, has he not? He's given you a home, a bed, a family, friends, food, clothing, even physical blessings, the basics of, of life. Now, if, if God were to have that all taken away, as with Job, does God change? Has God changed in how, he, in how he sees us and how he deals with us? Does God cease to be good? If everything you had was taken away from you, would God be to blame? Well, James rebukes such thoughts in verse, uh, verse 13. Because God cannot do evil. Let none of us say, brothers, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. God cannot and will not himself tempt man. It would be entirely against who God is. He would cease to be God if there was a drop of the possibility of evil in him. Oh, rather, verses 14 and 15 reveal the true source of our misery and temptation as being sin. The temptation to sin comes from man's wicked desires. Each is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. A man cannot be trusted. And especially, especially when that man is us. But God can be trusted. He is faithful. And James assures us he only sends down perfect gifts. It is our wickedness, it's our double-mindedness that distorts the trials that are permitted to us. We distort the meaning and purpose of these trials. And so again, this is where James's warning comes back. Do not be deceived, brothers. 
God is not double-minded. But he's, he's faithful. He's unchangeable. I am is, is, is eternally merciful and gracious. He's eternally, forever, long-suffering. That is, patient with us. Even in our faults and failures. He is abundant. Abundant in goodness and truth. And because we belong to Christ, and because Christ belongs to God, we can rest and be satisfied in His purposes. Now perhaps, perhaps this is all best said in the words of, of that hymn we know. Think of those words. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. The hymn continues further on. All that I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Pardon for sin, the peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence, Lord, to cheer and to guide. God's own presence to gladden our hearts, to make us count it all joy, and to guide us. And from God, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Truly, truly, blessed is the man. Even with 10,000 blessings, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, that is this life, this lifetime of hardship and suffering, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. Count it all a joy, dear friends. God loves you. He sent His Son to be the propitiation for your sins, the cleansing for your sins, enduring the trial of all trials that none of us, because of Him, will have to truly go through. As question and answer 44 of the Catechism says, Christ suffered unspeakable anguish, pain, terror of the soul on the cross. Why? Well, Catechism says to assure me, underline, assure me during attacks of deepest dread and temptation that he will deliver me from hellish anguish and torment. Because we're united to him, by His Spirit. All of His people, every single one of us, is following in His sufferings. With one exception. We will never be condemned or utterly forsaken by God. Ever. Back will never turn to us, from us. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3-4, to 4, promises that the God of all comfort shall comfort us in our afflictions. Then he will then even use us, us who suffer and know our suffering, he will use us to then go to others in affliction and likewise comfort them in Christ. <coughs> Great is his faithfulness. He knows that we are mere creatures of dust. He made us. And all that I have needed, everything I stand in need of, his hand provided. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, our, our Heavenly Father, let us never, ever forget 
He has provided his own son as our savior, the light of this dark world. The light of this world. This light, this, 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 he perfectly reveals the heart of the Father for his children. Love. We have been provided Christ who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and our redemption. And we have been provided Christ in whom we've been united by this Holy Spirit and are lacking nothing. We are complete. Even when it doesn't seem like it. Let us see our trials and consider them joy for through them Christ is preparing us for glory. In this, in this veil of tears, we are faithfully provided for by God. And we may not see it at, at this time. We may not see it all the time, but when the season of trial passes, or, or perhaps when the season of trial is lessened, less intense, we learn once more how God had been caring for us the entire time. Count it all a joy, brothers. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father who is in heaven, Lord, we stand in need of every single thing. Lord, we think of our lives as our own, our breath as our own. We take, we take everything for granted. Lord, if only we would, we would rest in the knowledge and assurance, the wholehearted trust that you are over all things, that we truly have peace for our, our entire lives, even our eternal life. Lord, with, with these, these wonderful truths that you have spoken through your servant James, Lord, may our hearts be strengthened, may our hearts be renewed. For Lord, we know that there, there are all here, that there, there are some here who have particularly difficult afflictions in this time, sorrows, and even, Lord, those, those temptations that, that we struggle to to put down and turn away from. But, oh Lord, give us the wisdom that we stand so in need of, that wisdom of Jesus Christ to live, Lord, to learn it, to believe, and to obey. Lord, impress these things upon our minds and our hearts, and may they show forth in our action and conduct, Lord, by your Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Lord, may we, we have it for peace, Lord, as we go out in this afternoon return home safely, and then return to your house later in this evening. Here we ask, O Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.